Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and I'm here tonight with co-host faculty member Tom. Tom, say hello to everyone. Let them hear your voice. How's it going, everyone? And we are here tonight to do a faculty meeting. This will be faculty meeting number 136. Don't have a cool title yet, but I probably will before we post it. So we got a lot of things going on. We have quite a few topics that we want to talk about. This has been a good week for me to get some juices flowing. There's been some interesting things happen that have got me curious and eager to talk about. But before we get into everything, we always like to take a step back and talk about why we're here. The goal of these faculty meeting episodes is that at some point in the conversation Tom and I are about to have, there'll be some nugget of wisdom, something that a listener can pull out and maybe use at their table to make their game more fun. But we understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time, but there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal. And Tom, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing, which system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, as long as you and your friends at the table are having a good time, you're doing it right. So with that out of the way, Tom, what have you been up to, sir? What's been going on in Tom's life? So, so much stuff. We are currently in the process of finishing out our campaign of Faith, the science fiction RPG that we've been running. I've been running this now for almost a year and a half. And we're now at that point where everything is coming to a head and we're about to finish things off. And it has been an absolute blast. We've been running a sandbox campaign. So I've really been allowing my players to really influence the campaign in the world and now seeing all of these threads that they've built all of a sudden just come together has been absolutely incredible so we're going to actually be playing tomorrow and then we're hoping to be finished up by the end of january so it's just it's this really exciting it's that great feeling when you're playing rpgs and like we've had this story going for such a long time and now starting to see everything come to a close in such a fantastic epic conclusion is i'm loving it right now so is this the same group that you play with on salt marsh on the wednesday night game or a different group no so it's jake is in this group so jake who's one of the players in the rpg academy presents show and then there's several other folks that i've been playing with for a while so we i've had the same group now for going on i think five years players rotate in and out but it's been pretty consistent for the most part that is the dream, man. That is the dream. Oh, it's uh, we're living it. We play every every other week, um, so it's a good time. Anything else going on you want to chat about for a moment? Uh, nothing much. I have been reading a ton of comic books, so I know I, I've kind of I kind of fell behind. As a lot of listeners know, I read a ton of comic books, and I got I fell a month behind in my current reading, which is a lot. So I've been catching up on a, and there's a lot of cool books right now. And if you are a Patreon subscriber, uh, you all can catch my Tom's Comic Book Corner. We just did an episode on the X-Men, and then I'm going to be sending over to you, Michael, a new recording of some indie books that I've been reading recently. So, All right. Very, very cool. So also on the Patreon, again, you and Brad are doing a Mandalorian recap. Uh, so we've continued to, you know, be watching that show. I know I'm a fan. Um, sometimes I like it more than others, but there's a there's one element in particular that's just so good that it just outweighs all my nitpicky criticism. Uh, so I'm enjoying the show. 
happy to continue to watch it. Very excited to continue to listen to the episodes that you and uh, Brad do. But my favorite show on TV right now is The Watchmen. The Watchmen. Every single episode, I I just sort of sit after the episode and just, like, I'm trying to, like, debrief and or or sit on it. I don't, I don't it makes me think. It makes me question what I saw before, what's going to come next. I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting every single episode. I really feel like it's probably the best show on TV right now that, of course, I'm watching. I don't watch everything, so there may be plenty of things that are 10 times better that I've never heard of, but I absolutely cannot express how much I love the show. I want to do a recap show for the patrons, but I have found... Like, I recorded an ep- episode zero of that, where I just kind of basically covered the graphic novel of, like, what you would need to know to start watching the show. And I realized, like, I love this show, and I like the Watchmen comic, but I'm by no means an expert. And I felt like my rambling explanation of the comic was so terrible that I was like, I got, not embarrassed, but I was just like, I I don't have any reason to try to record an episode. It's just going to come off me going, I like this part and I like this part and yeah. I like this part. Uh, so I have scratched doing that unless I can find a co-host that would want to go with me so we can have a conversation. But me just spouting love for the show, I don't think is valuable to anyone. So please, if you are not already watching the show, please go watch it. The last episode comes out next week. It's a nine episode limited series. There's the potential for a season two, but it was not written that way. This was written to be a one and done, but it's so popular. There's a good chance there'll be more, which is great. So if there's anything that might spoil you, it's going to be out at the end of next week. It's going to be out in the world. So if you can watch it before then, because it is amazing. Yeah, I've heard really good things about the show. Personally, I've read The Watchmen. I appreciate what The Watchmen did for comic books at the time. I'm not the biggest fan of it, but I've heard that the show captures what the comic book did without retreading on just nostalgia. It makes you think. So I think what you said is definitely kind of encapsulates what I've heard from other people as well. Right, because I've read the comic, but I didn't read it until years after it was released i was working at target uh had not been reading comics for years at that point and one of the people i worked with had talked about it i was like i i don't even know what you're talking about i missed it completely so he loaned me the graphic novel so i read it probably late 90s but it was probably like 2002 2003 so it had already been out for like 20 years or something i don't know been out for a long time it came out in the 80s i believe uh, so it was like I had this reverence for it. I don't love that comic like a lot of people do, but I did really enjoy it. Um, and as I have said before, I actually think the movie's not bad. I know a lot of people hate the Zack Snyder movie. For me, I actually, it's probably his only movie he's ever done that I really like. It's different than the comic, but I think it makes, it's a, it's still a good show. So if you've not read the comic, you can watch the movie. And other than about the last 10 minutes, you know everything you need to know. The The difference in the ending is significant to the show. But I think everything else is captured good enough that you could get by without having to try it down and read the comic. But you should because it's a good comic. Okay. Um, and then the last thing for me before we get into the show is Marvel Champions. I got to play this game at a catacomb on the VIP. One of our VIPs, Jason, ran a game for me, um, himself, me, and I think two other people, but I don't remember who that was. Um, So it's a living card game. 
uh, the Fantasy Flight came out, and I don't know. Like, I love Marvel. I love superheroes. I love card games. So this should have been right up my alley. I I didn't quite get it when Jason ran it for me. I've tried to run it myself solo because there is a solo mode to it, and I lose every single time badly. So I don't know if I just I'm not getting the strategy or if I'm doing something wrong. But there's a couple elements that are just not intuitive at all. And every time I play the game, I'm I like I want someone there with me to explain like this fiddly bit. So I'm I'm trying to play it a couple more times. I I, I probably need to go watch a video or something because there's one particular element that I get confused on every single time. That just makes it slow and wonky. But I don't know. So if anyone out there has been playing the game, if you really enjoy it or don't. I'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions on the game. The new expansions were supposed to come out in December. They got pushed out. So maybe if I want to you know, spend any more money on other expansions, might want to know that before they come out because I probably will buy them unless someone tells me not to or I've decided to give up on the game. Okay, so with all of that, well, do you have anything? You, you looked like you were prepped to go. No, I was just about to say I know that that game has been getting raving reviews and I know that you said you've been playing it solo but I do know that a lot of people have been really enjoying it in the two player mode so if you've been playing it Michael you need some gaming friends now where you are yeah I I do Um, or I need to get my boys just a little older yeah just throw them in that time machine you know okay perfect that'll work so anyway so there's three things I want to talk about tonight specifically for the show. Uh, the first is a situation that I uh, – situation. It was a post on Facebook, and it got a ton of comments and a ton of um, conversation going. And I seem to have been on the sort of minority side of my opinion. So I want to try to present it to you as objectively as I can. I want to see what your thoughts are. And then assuming we don't agree, talk a little bit about it. If we do agree, maybe talk about why we why we are getting the minority here. I don't know if you spend a lot of time on Facebook. You may already be familiar with the post. But it essentially goes like this. Um, a DM who's fairly new was running a game for the group. And one of the players is a wizard and has access to the polymorph other spell. And they misunderstood how that spell works. Now, I... Don't claim to know exactly how it works, but the way it was presented in the post is they were uh, forcibly uh, polymorphing an opponent into these other things to attack it, not realizing that they were only attacking the temporary hit points gained through the spell, and they were not actually in any way hurting the actual thing they were trying to fight. So they polymorphed him two or three times thinking that, well, we're going to wear him down, wear him down, and when we're finally done, he'll be easy to kill. And it wasn't until, like, near the end of this that the DM realized, oh, they don't know what they're doing. This doesn't work, and they don't know that. But the DM did not explain it until the the session was over. They had not defeated the, the thing they were trying to kill. The story made almost no progress because they spent so long in this battle so they didn't get any experience points for the night, they didn't progress the story, and they didn't defeat the creature they were trying to fight. And by far, the people responding were like, well, it's their fault. The, the person who cast the spell should know what their spell does. It's not the DM's responsibility to explain to them that it doesn't do what they think it does. Lesson learned, no XP, they won't make that mistake again. 
So as objectively as I could present it, I still think I flavored it a little bit. What do you think about that situation? How would you feel as the DM? How would you feel as the player or a player in the group? Okay, so there, there's definitely a lot to take on that. And I think I need to preface this by how I used to play D&D and how I play D&D now. So <clears throat> I used to play D&D in the sense that very improv-esque in that rules didn't matter. But as I've started to play D&D more, we still improvise stuff. We still role play. But I've really started to, if you're going to play D&D, you need to use the rules as they are presented. And so the polymorph spell, yes, it is a spell that, just like you described, it once you transform something into something, it doesn't necessarily hurt the original being. It hurts what they are transformed into. So, but... We may know this, but somebody who's new to the game may not. So the way that I would do this is if I'm the dungeon master and at the time, and I've done this multiple times as we've been playing a game, realizing that all of a sudden, oh, my players don't know what's going on. Instead of just derailing what we're doing, I'll let that play out and we'll go forward and we'll do what happened. We'll reward XP and then at the end of the session... I'll then explain, this is what happened this session, but then moving forward, this is how this is going to work. So I don't think there's anything wrong with allowing something to play out, especially a rule. There's nothing more derailing to the game than just stopping a great session and just hashing out a rule. Let things play out as the majority of the table understands the rules to be written. And then at the end of the session, that's the time to then better explain what actually should have happened and to use that as a learning experience for the next session. And that's kind of my two cents on that. Don't derail something, allow it to play out, and then afterwards teach. Yeah, I think we're we're probably very similar. I, I, I don't disagree with that. I, I think there's a couple avenues to approach this. The, the first is... I fault the DM a little bit. And again, we're all humans. We're all learning. So I'm not to say that I wouldn't have done the same exact thing in the situation. But one of the things that I do now a lot is ask people what their intent is. Like, what are you trying to do here? And so the moment that I realized that the players thought they were doing one thing and the rules were doing another, I I would have stepped in and said, okay, the way you're doing this, I don't think it's doing what you think. So let, let's clarify do you think X, Y, or Z? And if they said, oh, no, we thought something else, I would be like, okay, well, we're going to just, from here forward, the spell's going to work the way it's supposed to work. So you're going to have to change tactics. But I'm, I wouldn't punish them to that point. Yeah, I think that's a good point that you made. Because for me, the end of the session, that's kind of that defining point where you can kind of bookend things. But then also the situation that you kind of showed where you're asking the players, what is your intent? That is also some sort of clear stopping point. And I think that's a, I've recently started to ask that question a lot. And I think it's perfectly okay to ask these above the table meta questions, especially when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, where there's all these rules, asking a player, hey, what are you actually trying to do here so that I can better help you as the dungeon master? achieve the story that you're trying to get it's not necessarily trying to like achieve the goal that you're trying to achieve but allow me to influence the story that we're we're all playing together in right we're we're all trying to create a shared story 
And I think knowing what the, the players intend to do, like you said, it just helps me as a DM present the world properly. And it's, it's, it's possible that the players knew what they were doing and that was their intent. Like they just like, we want to beat this thing down five times. Forgive my crudeness, like waterboarding. We want to intimidate the thing that we're trying to fight so that we don't have to kill it. Like eventually we're going to turn it back to its original form and we're going to say, listen, we can do this all day. X, Y, or Z. There, there might've been a legitimate reason why they were doing that. And that was their purpose. So by knowing what the intent was, that would allow the dungeon master to, to, to respond. So I think that would be the first thing. Like, what are you trying to accomplish here? Make sure we're on the same page. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The second thing I would say is, and this is what I said in the Facebook I replied, I said, give them like super bonus experience points for this night. Because the session didn't really progress. They didn't really defeat the creature or the monster. I don't even know if it was a person or a monster or whatever. But they learned something. And let that be like, okay, we didn't do this, this didn't do that, but you definitely learned something that you were going to take forward about knowing what your spells do. That's worth experience. The, the idea of experience in the game is that your characters learn and grow and become more affordable or formidable. So yeah, okay, what, you know, normally I give them, well, I'm just making up numbers, 100 experience points just for the night, and they should have gotten 500 each from that creature. I'd have given them 1,000. All right, everybody gets a thousand experience points because that's going to help solve that wound that they wasted an entire session, didn't progress the story, didn't actually defeat the creature, and the next session we can just pick up and finish the fight, or we can just assume it's dead. Okay, we're not going to rewind that far. You you were able to kill this thing, but moving forward, your spells will work as written. And I just I felt like so many people were just dogpiling, like nope, the player screwed up; it's their fault. And I, I mean, I get to a point where the rules are the rules, like you said, but this wasn't like a bad choice. This was a misunderstanding. And I feel, I just, I think it feels kind of crappy to punish your friends for an honest mistake. Yeah, absolutely. You have to be extremely careful, especially with D&D, when the whole structure of the game is based upon getting experience or leveling up. The whole system is all about character progression. So when you've done a session and then all of a sudden just said, yeah, that session didn't count because of a misunderstanding. There is nothing worse to like that you can just do to just suck the wind out of the sails of a campaign. And not to say that, like I said, we've, I said earlier, we've been doing a year and a half long campaign. I've had this relatively the same group for five years, but one of the most important things to doing that is in, is just keeping players excitement up and making sure that it's something that they want to they want to look forward to every other week they want to come every other week in order to be there and to play in the game and then when all of a sudden you've just said like yeah sorry guys that last four hours didn't mean anything there's nothing that'll just suck the motivation out more than that and i especially think with D because of its rewards based system you got to be especially careful with that all right very very cool so the other thing I want to talk about before we get into the true meat of the story is we got an email from a listener, uh, David. David's fairly new. Uh, he has some very nice things to say about the show. Very complimentary. So thank you, David. Yes. But also very, build, very new. Build that ego. <laughs> I need something. Um, so uh, so David's very early and he's, he's listening to all the shows. He's well behind. He just started. But he had a question that he wanted to get some feedback on. And I, I've already replied to the email, 
but I wanted to talk a little bit about it because I think this is a pretty complex question. There's a, there's a lot of things that we could be said. Uh, I could elaborate on what I wrote back or I may even change my mind, uh, but I wanted to get your take on it as well. So I'm going to read the email uh, just verbatim as best I can. Uh, so David says that uh, he will be running the campaign as a DM for the first time in a few months. We're going to be playing 5e and his party should be around level five when this particular encounter takes place. Uh, his idea is that there will be a bunch of town folks that are deeply in debt to a bookie who runs a dice game. The party will be pulled into playing the bookie for the town's debt, and they will be playing a real dice game at the table. So the players will be playing a, a game called Zombie Dice. Uh, he explains what this is very quickly. Basically, it's a push-your-luck game. You roll the dice. You can stop when you want, take your points, or continue to roll. Uh, but the way it's going to work in the game is that the the dice are going to be magic, have a spell on them, so that when you use them, you're compelled to can keep pushing your luck. And it will keep the players from ending their turns, you know, safely and taking their points. And he's thinking that they will need to make a wisdom saving throw to resist this compulsion. Uh, he continues that his problem is he doesn't want to compel them to the point where they keep rolling and keep losing. So should he should I set the DC for the first compulsion higher and then lower for the next round? What should the DC be at all? Um, should I even use magic to compel them to take an action against their will? So there's there's a lot of stuff to unpack there. Let's start with the big question is should the DM compel characters to do something against the character or the player's will? Is that cool? Well, yeah, I mean, first, obviously, major props to David for taking a non-combat encounter in D&D and making it interesting, because a lot of times non-combat encounters, especially when you want to have some sort of very structured rule set, it just doesn't necessarily work within 5th edition. So that's cool. But as far as compelling players to do something, compelling players to do something that their character wouldn't necessarily do, I think we have to definitely be careful because we don't want to, as the GM, project what we want them to do into their character. We want to make sure that the players feel like they have the agency. So I think in this situation, I think what's what's most important is communicating to players that they are still in control. So this is not necessarily you as the GM saying, you have to do this, but there really needs to be a story reason why the character would be compelled to doing this. And I think a wisdom saving throw is a safe way to go about doing this because first off, you're, you're, you're using the dice in there. So right off the bat, you have kind of a fallback. All right. It's the dice and people like to, I mean, D and D, you want to roll dice. I mean, that's the core mechanic there. So I think that's important. So, but I think you also have to make sure that it's not just re repetitive. So I think just making sure that you're communicating in this situation is super important because you have to be extremely careful when you're compelling players to do something that their character wouldn't do. Because then you get into that age old scenario where somebody is like, well, my character wouldn't do that. So now I go burn the building down. So it's, ex yeah. That was that's my initial thoughts on the situation. And, and I and I agree. And again, I'm on record having said this multiple times. I do not like compelling players and telling them they have to do a thing. 
I I think that's bad DMing most of the time. There are exceptions, and magical compulsions that are part of the game are one of those exceptions. But I even try not to use those a lot because I still don't like it. I just don't think it's it's not very fun. Like, best case scenario, I still don't think it's going to be great. Having said that, though, this sounds like a really cool encounter. Like, I, I'm very, not say, I, I guess, yeah, I'm impressed. Like, this this is cool. But I see this playing out more like a novel where where David, as the author, has complete control of every everyone's actions. And I could see this playing out very satisfyingly. When you add players to the mix, things tend to go sideways. So my first thought is that the players are never going to get to the dice game because they're going to kill the bookie outside of the casino, for example. So let's say it's a casino. They're probably just going to solve it by sticking the sharp sticks into things until they're dead. Uh, so what are are you, David, the DM, going to be okay with that? Are you going to be okay if they break into their house at night, if they break into the casino, if they catch him or it or her out of the casino? Is that going to be okay? And if not, how are you going to stop it? Because, you know, again, you don't want it to say, oh, you can't kill him. You know, there's a thousand guards show up. That's not fun either. So just be prepared that they might completely bypass this cool encounter by playing D&D. Yeah, I think what's very important is for any encounter that you do, if you build an encounter, you need to make it. There is a, a reason for the players to do this encounter. Like, it can't just be that so-and-so has something. That's not a good reason, because like you kind of alluded to, they can just go ahead and steal it from them. They can beat them up. They can do something just absolutely nefarious and uninteresting. Or they can do this dice rolling thing. And so you have to come up with a way, and I don't have an answer for why they want to do this dice rolling thing, but you need to come up with a, a reason why they want to roll these dice. Or that's the only way out like if if they just kill this person that doesn't solve the problem somehow like the only way to actually solve the problem is to uh win the debt away maybe there's it's an organization and killing this person doesn't stop that i don't i don't know but that's something you think about or an ally it's some sort of ally and the other thing that i think you need to communicate to the players that they are going to be this is another above the thing above the table item you need to tell them that hey this is you are by entering into this game, you are, your characters are going to be compelled to make these roles. So presenting that as this, another interesting scenario that they're getting themselves into, uh, I think is, it's important to just say your character is going to be compelled. And that's a, that's a cool thing. So just, this is all part of the story. It's, so just making sure that they're aware that of this. And and that's I not so that I disagree necessarily, but just that's where I again I have another sort of pivot point that my assumption is that the players are probably going to do some investigating beforehand, and very likely will learn that these dice are magical before they ever sit down. You know, especially if they're fifth level, if they have a wizard in the party or access to magic, there's probably going to be some way to detect magic. They might just observe and, you know, there might be a skill checks to notice that the, the, the people who are other people who are playing don't seem to be making smart plays. And is that cool? Like, do you want the player sitting down knowing in game, the characters knowing that there is a magical compulsion and they are just agreeing to play the game, b- believing that they can overcome it, then that's cool. 
But if they just go in and sit down and play, and now the characters and the players, neither one have any idea that this magical compulsion is coming, that can be feel like a gotcha. I don't really think it is because the players have opportunity, but it could still feel that way. So then what happens then? If they sit down knowing, do you let them prepare? Do they have some sort of magical defense? Is the fact that they just know it's coming? You give them a bonus to the roll. They get advantage on the saving throw because they know it's coming. They've mentally prepared. Because then what can happen is that it's a dud encounter because they go in and they beat it. First time, it's like, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to make my saving throw. Woohoo, we've, we've saved the town. There's no buildup. There's no excitement there. Like, I feel like, again, this goes back to the story. I feel like the players need to lose, go into death themselves, and then have to play again. And the second time they win to make it a truly exciting encounter. But there's no guarantee at all that that's going to happen once players are involved. So exactly, because I think, all right, so this is important, and this is where we're going to differ, is you may think that they need to lose, but if they win, they win. And unfortunately, that's Dungeons & Dragons. Sometimes it comes down to the the roll of the dice, and sometimes players win. And as Game Masters, we have to be okay with we're not playing, we're not playing fate or we're not playing, we're playing Dungeons and Dragons and the players rolled and they succeeded. So they won. So it's all about making that, that win just more interesting. And I think the, what I go back to on this is when you're talking about compelling somebody to do something, the classic example in pop culture that I think about is Jumanji because they know that playing the game is bad, but they have to play the game in order to fix all of these mistakes and they have to keep on pushing forward they cannot stop playing because if they stop playing then they die so i think it's allowing letting the players know that they need to know that hey playing this game may be bad but they have to play so yeah and again to clarify if if i say sit down to play and i said a dc and they beat it i'm not going to change it behind the screen at that point they, if they win they win i just think again like from a storytelling standpoint i think it would be better for them to lose and then have to find a way to come back to the table and i can do that as the dm without cheating and to say oh, the dc's 50 like there's no way to win you know the first time i don't tell them what the dc is but I, i'm not going to change it i'm just going to say all right it's 37 if they get to 37, by gosh, they, they win. But then then the second time I can say, well, now you know it's coming or there's some sort of MacGuffin that gives them an, a, a defense to it, whatever. I can make them lose the first time without cheating by using other dials. I just don't, again, because players are involved, I probably would be wary of that because the chances of it working the way I want are slim. Um, what I would probably do is play it pretty fair, make the DC probably 18 Again, my rules 12, 15, 18. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good DC. That's a good one. That's a good DC, especially at fifth level. If they put their, uh, uh, rogue thief in there, probably attainable pretty easily. Uh, maybe give them a bonus or give them advantage because of other situations. But if they do win the first time, then I might throw a little pepper on it and maybe the dice are cursed. And because they've beaten him, the curse passes to them. And so, not to make the bookie out to be a good person, but maybe there's some sort of compulsion that they are forced to gamble, but they have these dice that, like, when other people roll it, they don't have to. 
So this is like the way this person has mitigated the the curse and becomes you know wealthy from it. So now they are cursed with these guys. So I don't know. I'm just saying like if it seems too easy and it just seems like all the players are like, wait, is this is this all we we okay we saved the problem or saved the down? Then I might want to make a little change just to make it seem like there was more planned than there already actually was. Okay. Yeah. I think it's a, it's an interesting thing. And I think I'm going to allude to this later on in our conversation later. I think what's so important whenever we're talking about DCs is that at the end of the day, we are playing Dungeons and Dragons where it really, the, it allow, the players roll a dice. And if they get higher than a certain DC, they should win. So that, that's baked into the system and that's part of the fun of it. But so it's just kind of wrapping our heads around it. That's the game that we're playing. So that's the kind of expectations that we need to set for the players and ourselves. Understood. Uh, so David, if you are listening four years in the future when you get to this episode, I hope this was helpful. And you've already had this, um, I'm sure the session by now, but I did email you. So you got most of my opinions already, uh, but I want to hear how it, how it turned out. So please let us know. And if anyone out there is interested in our opinions on anything, I mean, if you're listening to this far into this episode, I got to assume you do a little bit. Uh, let us know, email us yourself, let us ask a question and we'll do our best to, you know, we'll think through it. Even if we don't answer it directly, we might give you some things to think about. Uh, and our email of course is the RPG Academy at gmail.com. And then along those same lines, go ahead and shoot us an email if you have any other interesting ways to do encounters that are not combat encounters within Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. Cause I always love inserting those into my games. And I think adding this, this zombie dice game, I think it's a, a cool little touch to it. All right. Very, very cool. And then we're also going to do uh, our new reoccurring segment with uh, Justice from doing a DMs Guild spotlight. So take it away, Justice. Hey there, gamers. My name is Justice Arman. I'm a DMs Guild writer, Beetle and Grimm's Viking, and the host of this DMs Guild Spotlight segment on the RPG Academy. I'm also a little under the weather, so forgive my stuffy nose. While there's not going to be a quiz at the end of this segment, there's certainly a recommended reading list. Each month, we're going to be highlighting some of my favorite products on the Dungeon Master's Guild. Adventures, subclasses, guides, potions, you name it. If you're not already familiar with the Dungeon Master's Guild, aka the DM's Guild, it's a third-party publishing site owned by Wizards of the Coast that allows you to make money writing material for settings like the Forgotten Realms, Ravenloft, or Ravnica. You can find out more at www.dmsguild.com. Without further ado, today's DM's Guild Spotlight is Amarun's Almanac, Volume 1, Forests of the Realms. Amarun's Almanac is the first installment of a multi-part series led by designer Steve Fiddler to collect and expand the biomes of the Forgotten Realms. This includes two new forest-themed subclasses, the Circle of the Grove for the Druid and the Sylvan Sentinel for the Ranger. Additionally, there are some variant rules for Druidic spellcasting and a modification to the Natural Explorer feature of the Ranger. Steve and his team also introduced a new spellcasting element, Environment, complete with 12 new spells to use this component. There are also new beasts and monsters unique to the biome, magic items, and some lore on forest locations within the Forgotten Realms. The mechanics in this supplement are solid, as one would expect from a team including seasoned DM's Guild writers like Ashley May. 
Steve and his team have done a good job of breathing new life into a familiar aspect of fantasy, forests. I particularly enjoy the environment component, which requires the caster to be in a specific biome for the spell to be cast. If the land druid didn't quite impress you before in the player's handbook, wait for the biome of your choice to be featured in Amaruns, as the subclasses are very tied to each biome. The fluff is fluffier than most DM's guild products, with entire sections written by Amarun in her voice. Her experience shapes them in a way that makes lore more palatable than other supplements, where it can feel a bit like reading a textbook. With Brian Holmes consulting as the Forgotten Realms Sage, and a foreword by creator of the Forgotten Realms, Ed Greenwood, it's solid stuff. Similarly, the presentation is good thanks to graphic designer Nathaniel Rooks, who provides a uniform look to the product. No art stands out as being out of place, and the layout is natural, no pun intended. The various charts keep everything organized so you can reference them quickly at the table if need be. One thing I particularly liked about this supplement was the 8th level spell, Bulwark of Irritants, which coats your druid in a tiny forest insect shield, granting you temporary hit points, cover, and immunity to certain effects as the insects are destroyed by your enemies. All in all, it's a great supplement with something for everyone. It sure brought out my inner tree hugger. You can find Amarun's Almanac on the DM's Guild, along with a wealth of fantastic supplements from talented creators like the ones on this product. Until next time. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, and we'll see you next time. All right. Very cool. So now we're going to move on to sort of the the meat of this particular episode. And this was spurred by an RPG... RPG book I was reading in preparation for a one shot that I'm preparing. It's a different system. Doesn't matter which system it is. I'm not trying to disparage anything. But the way this book describes something happening kind of struck me as odd. And the basis of it is this I like to assume that the characters in the game are competent. They are, you know, they are pretty good at what they do. Even in D&D, when first level, they're schmucks. I actually like to think that the fighter's good at fighting things and the wizard's good at wizardly things. So if they fail to do something that they should do normally, maybe there's a reason to it other than they suddenly forgot what they're doing. Now, yes, chance plays a part in everything. The, the most competent sniper in the world misses occasionally. The smartest person in the world sometimes makes a bad play at chess. Things happen. But I like to think that when I'm running games, I try to lean towards you didn't fail because you're incompetent. You failed for some other reason. Uh, Now, I've said many times before, I'm a big fan of letting players describe their own failures and successes, and particularly failures. I think it's very interesting to have a player explain why they think their character failed this thing that they probably should have succeeded at. But this, the, the idea behind this particular segment is for DMs, maybe newer DMs who are struggling with ways to add improv into their game, like they're very rigid in their planning and preparation, because it's hard to teach people how to improv. Like it's just not, it's just something you kind of have to do. But this seems like an exercise that, that Tom and I can engage in. So the goal here is that we're going to go through all the different skills in fifth edition. And we're going to assume that a competent character failed one. And we're going to try to come up with a reason why they failed other than they just suddenly forgot how to do a thing that they do. So, Tom, A, does that make sense? B, do you have anything else that you want to preface before we get into it? 
it all makes sense. And it's not that their character was bad. It was that my NPC that I created is just so much better. So, <laughs> Well, in some of the situations. So we're just going to go down the list. So the first one is acrobatics. So this is some sort of dexterity-based skill. It could be walking a tightrope, uh, you know, swinging, jumping from post to post, some sort of parkour maneuver. Um, it could be not falling on ice. So basically the characters had a slip or a fall or a tumble. So other than they suddenly just lost their balance, can you think of some reasons why? And again, we're, this is very broad. You can create the surroundings uh, around your particular example as much as you want. You can be as creative as you need to be. Just explain what your character, quote unquote, was trying to do and why they failed other than they just suddenly had an ear inner ear infection. All right, so I actually, I will go first. Okay. So the first one here is acrobatics. So I'm going to say this is something where a PC is just trying to show off. They're, like, they're not trying to jump a pit. They're not trying to escape from fire. Maybe they're at like a festival or a fair, or they're just trying to impress a possible, uh, you know, lover situation. So they're just trying to do some sort of acrobatic fla- flare, uh, flare or flourish to impress someone. So they roll their die and they fail. So what could have happened here that would have caused them to do so? My first instinct is that there's a rival. So in my my example, the PC's trying to impress uh, uh someone in, uh, not not even the opposite sex, just someone they're trying to impress, maybe to set up a romantic encounter, but there's someone else who's also interested and has spiked their drink. Maybe they have a mirror they shine in their eyes. There could be something about the clothing that they're wearing. They've, you know, done something to it so that um, they are not in tip-top condition to be successful at what they're trying to do. So basically, they've been sabotaged, but they will learn that they've been sabotaged once, like, once they've picked themselves up. They're like, wait, and then you've included some some aspect that's why this person failed was sabotage, not just they failed. Yeah, that's cool. I like the idea of they failed, they were sabotaged, but then you tell them that they were sabotaged. So then they know something else about the scene. It's not just this zero-sum game where nothing happened. Something did happen. Yeah, yeah, again, I think that's a big point about skill checks in general, is failure shouldn't just be nothing happened. Something should have. Exactly. So can you think of an additional example for some sort of acrobatic check where failure wasn't just incompetence? So absolutely. I think... I, when, wherever we're talking about acrobatics, I love throwing in environmental conditions because I think that's telling the players something about their surroundings. So I think that somebody is walking across a tightrope and all of a sudden a large gust of wind comes and knocks them off. It's not that they slipped. It's that the, their surroundings are also fighting against them. So I think then as things progress, then you can use that more and then players are more cautious and they're using that for their storytelling. Okay. We are playing with the rules a little bit to do this because realistically, if we are adding additional complications, we should have just increased the DC to compensate. But that's why this is an improv exercise because we didn't know the player was sabotaged. We're trying to come up with some reason why they fail the thing they were supposed to do. So that's where the improv comes in. We are retroactively creating a, a situation where it makes sense that you failed with a lower DC rather than saying, oh, you're sabotaging plus five, that kind of thing. So so just make sure that it's clear that we are doing this as an improvisation exercise. Exactly. And I, I think that's totally, I think that's totally cool to do. All right. 
So, Tom, you're going to take... Animal handling. Uh, I love using animal handling checks. I don't think they're used enough. So I think one of the coolest things you can do is, let's say that there's some sort of dog or a lion or a, a hippogriff or something that the players are trying to tame. And all of a sudden, they roll a very low number. So instead of adding something to the scene, another good improvisational exercise is to use what you've already described and have done before in order to make something make something feel more significant. So if the players just had a nice meal that they just described, maybe use that some of the, the lingering food is still on you or that smell is still there. So what you've done is you've made a past scene feel more significant and I've used that to add into the scene. And then all of a sudden that hippogriff, it all of a sudden takes a big old chomp out of your hand. And now you're, you're, you're not feeling so great anymore. It's because you now have a meaty stub. <laughs> um, yeah. And then there's also situations where, you know, maybe the animal is, is feral, but you didn't notice it right away. It, it wasn't until after you tried to interact with it that you noticed bloodshot eyes or maybe like a foam at the, at the mouth. You can come up with some reason why this isn't your typical horse. You know, it's not responding to the the commands that it should normally follow or respond to. Yes. All right, Arcana. Arcana. This is an important one. Don't mess this up. Yeah, well, this one comes up a lot. It does. Uh, and Arcana is just basically the knowledge of arcane things. Uh, so why would a wizard who's a trained ar- arcanist miss something? Again, there's so many possible situations. Maybe this is an unusual or lost version of Arcana. It's like Latin. It's like a dead language. This is a type of Arcana that's not known here. It's a it's a regional thing. It's a cultural thing. It could be just like a blind spot from their training. And this is probably where I would turn it over to the player and say, you should have known this. Why didn't you? And maybe they can say, you know, when I was studying, my defense against the dark arts teacher died halfway through the semester. So we didn't get to complete that that lesson. The library that I was, you know, in the, my where I studied burnt down partway through. There was a restricted section. There's lots of reasons why one particular bit of lore might be unknown to the to the character that was that's built into their backstory, or it could be something to do with the Arcana itself. Maybe there is something about this writing that's, you know, there's a spell on it, and they don't know that right away. They don't cast the tech magic; they just try to read it, and there's actually a spell that causes it to like mix up in their eyes when they're looking at it. And that's why the barbarian passed because the barbarian's too dumb to be affected by that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't anything to add. No, it makes sense. All right. Next up is athletics. Uh, there's obviously a lot of overlap between acrobatics and athletics, but is there anything specifically you can think of that would be different or another example? Yeah, I, I think that, so athletics, we look at athletics and the, the key thing that they use in, as far as an example, is always climbing or swimming. That's kind of what they always use is climbing or swimming. And since it's so tied closely to acrobatics, I think this is a, it's, it's going to sound like a cop out, but whenever we're talking about something that a player is physically doing, I like to go back to in the environment again, because you're, you're allowing the players then to play in the space. So for example, climbing, the easiest thing is that they were climbing up this cliff and it's not that they weren't strong enough, but they met, they didn't necessarily look at the cliff close enough. And now all of a sudden there, they would, the rock that they were holding has now come off and now they are 
plunging to the ground and now allow them to do do something else in order to so what you've done then is you haven't invalidated what they're you haven't made the scene less interesting oh you just failed now you get to do something else because now hey how are you going to catch yourself and that's kind of what i go to when we're talking about athletics you need to change the situation and then allow them to do something else in order to get that the best foot forward dramatic escalation exactly exactly so the next up is deception can't read for a second yeah the next up is deception so this is where well and you talked about it earlier who are they trying to deceive there's been a running joke in a lot of my games and Brad, who was going to join us tonight, but it didn't work out because of work issues. Uh, he's been in those games where when someone does a terrible uh, deception role or like a disguise role, we always say that basically they're doing the, the pickle mustache. I don't even know where it came from, but we just assume that they picked up a pickle somewhere and they're using it as a mustache and that's their entire disguise. So it's a joke that they're really bad at doing this and that's why they failed. But for our example, we're going to assume that they're really good at this. So there's just someone better in the crowd across from them that sees through it. And, you know, again, this could just it, realistically, it should have been the DC should have been higher, but we're just going to say they happen to be sitting across from a well, a world renowned detective or a lie detector or uh, some other reason why someone's like, you're trying to be deceptive. They just know that. And actually that could be, maybe they just know the truth and this person isn't fooled because they have the surety of, perfect knowledge. So who is this person? Why do they know the thing they're supposed to know? Again, the, the deception matters here. Like, what are you trying to lie about? I'm actually the king's brother. I'm supposed to be here. Um, I know X, Y, or Z. If the other person knows for a fact you're lying, they have to have information. Who are they? Why do they have that information? That could be a very interesting story detail. Why is this, you know, guard who's watching the lowest level of the cells sure that you are not who you say you are maybe they're not who we think they are yeah i think that's a that's i think that's cool because typically what i'll do with deception is i'll just have it contested by somebody else's perception or insight and i don't think i think what you described is better because when you're just having a contest it just means that you were not as good as they were but i think just just not even doing the insider perception and just saying that well you then as the GM, you now need to come up with a reason why this NPC is a lot better than the player. And I'm all about cool NPCs. <laughs> so. Awesome. So you have history. History. Okay, so this is kind of a tough one because this is this usually has to deal with information recall or you're just kind of casual knowledge checks. I think the, an easy example is you have the, you've got this, this cleric who is investigating this idol that is in this temple. And they're trying to ascertain who may have worshiped this idol. So I think what's important about a history check is before you even ask for a history check, you need to make sure that there is actual rele relevant information that a player can get from it. And this is a very tough, you're having to think really quickly, and I can't even do this. I, it is absolutely tough when somebody asks for a history check. You, I think what's important is if they fail, I think you still need to give them information, but make it information that is not necessarily what they need. So tie that into, I think the easiest thing to do is tie that information into a backstory. So if somebody's got a backstory, tie it into that, but don't actually make that information useful 
in the current situation. So if they're trying to investigate this idol because they're trying to decipher runes to allow them to open up a secret door, don't give them that information. Maybe say, oh, this is an idol that you recognize from a town that you traveled through at some time during your studies. Uh, but you, but you, so tying that something back in, but don't give them that information. So I think you need to give them something when they do a history check. It's not just like, yeah, you don't know anything. Allow them to know something because otherwise they never would have been trying to remember what they knew. Right. But just don't give them what they need. And I think it can this can be said over with all of these is you don't want to overuse any of these. Like, I don't think you should every single time a player fails a, a DC on a skill check, try to come up with some elaborate reason why. Sometimes they can just fail. Exactly. But sometimes it's interesting for there to be more. So for this one, I would go with the Star Wars philosophy that, it, well, it is true from a certain point of view. Maybe the assumed history, the not, the known history is wrong. History was written by people. They have motives and and agendas so maybe what everyone believes is true is actually false so they do know the history but it's not right so it's not it doesn't help here are we talking about the expanded universe now becoming legacy stuff or anything like that (laughs) no okay never mind all right so that's not what we're talking about all right so next up is intimidation and again, this is where we're... Insight. Oh, insight. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I jumped ahead. Again, I can't read. So next up is insight. And this is, again, it's the kind of the inverse of the deception. You are trying to gain information from someone and they are just better at hiding it or manipulating. You see what they want you to see. It's actually, I don't know if it's funny or not, but I've actually been rewatching the show Lie to Me. Are you familiar with that at all? Very. It's one of those things that's just in my brain and i know the guy who's in it but i just i I know what you're talking about yeah it's this tv show was on fox back in like 2009 2010 um i currently can't think of the guy's name either but in the show it's cal lightman and he is a psychologist who studies micro expressions and he basically he's a deception expert and he can you know talk to you and sherlock holmes style you know tell when you're lying or what you're worried about based off of how you're responding. Like he just, he sees what other people can't see, but there are some times where he is misled by people who are also very good at this because they will throw false micro expressions to confuse him. And he himself has thrown false expressions to confuse other people. So it could be as simple as that. You're trying to gain information and the other person is simply trained at disguising their true feelings. So that's the reason why you didn't just suddenly forget that a smile is a smile. They must be happy, but they are in fact very angry, but they are masking that with a smile. So that's why you get the wrong information. So when you approach them as if they're happy, but they don't seem to be responding to you in that way, it creates that, well, that is weird, isn't it? And you don't really necessarily have to explain that one right away. This can come up later, but yeah, I think in that situation, again, the quote unquote, the easy answer is why is this person so good at masking their true feelings or what is so important they are willing to do that in this situation? Yeah, I think that's cool because then you can then go back to your party and you'd say, well, well, hold on a second. Something's up with this person. So you've then added another layer to this NPC. Very cool. All right. So now you have intimidation. Oh, intimidation. I love intimidation so much because if you all watch our Ghosts of Saltmarsh, uh, our current RPG Academy presents, my players love to try to intimidate people. And I don't know why. I'm like, quit being so aggressive. 
all the time. <laughs> and so, but with intimidation, when they fail intimidation, it's gr- it's the greatest feeling ever. And as a GM, <laughs> you need to just revel in that feeling that your players were trying to just be so obstinate and trying to be mean and they failed at that. So my favorite thing to do here is to you you make the players seem more interesting because you make them seem funny, all right? Have the NPC start laughing at them because in their Think about when you get angry so often, more likely than anything, the people are just like, this is such a ridiculous situation. Why is this person getting so upset over this loaf of bread that I just want to sell them for two silver? Why do they need it for one silver? And why are they trying to intimidate me for them? And so you're that basically have the NPC laugh at the player's Turn an intimidation into a into a funny scenario, and then make the players maybe your characters just use this as a learning experience. Or I also like the idea of hey, maybe the player forgot to take a a really good shower, and they now they still have some dirt on them from the night before, or something like that. Something that they didn't realize. That's why they failed the intimidation. It's not that they just weren't intimidating enough. They were plenty intimidating. It's just there's something else that is causing the situation. Maybe it's just the ridiculousness, ridiculousness of the situation or something that they didn't realize that one of the players had, one of the other players had put a kick me sign on the back of them. So it's. Uh, so what, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that um, there's something else going on that they're more afraid of than you. Uh, so again, oh, that's good. So going with your idea that they, this shopkeeper cannot afford to take one silver for this loaf of bread because they are currently short on their monthly bribe payment to the local thugs. They are coming any minute to collect, and they don't have enough money as is. They can't give up any more because their you know their stall is going to get burned to the ground because they don't pay their protection money. So that's why they don't they don't care what you could kill them. They're still not going to pay you or take less than full price because they can't because of their livelihood because of their family. So that's why you're you're not that you're not intimidating. You're just not as intimidating as something else that they know about. Oh, that's that's a good one. That's a good one. I like that. All right, investigation. So this is looking for and finding clues. I guess the easiest thing for me is that someone has muddled the crime scene, whether intentionally or not. But the reason why you're not able to put the clues together is because someone else, again, classic CSI, contaminated. Someone that isn't as good of an investigator as you but thinks they are has already been through the area. They've left more footprints. They've collected evidence maybe that they think is important, and now it's not there when you need it. So that obviously only works if the crime scene exists before the players get there. If if something happens in the moment and everyone's there, then, uh, again, Maybe there's a fire and the tavern is burning, so they don't have time to look at everything because uh, there's a fire. Yeah, I, I, investigation is tricky, and I'm. I think that's. I, I like the idea that you're adding to the scene because so often it can just be like, all right, there's this scene. We look around, roll investigation. Okay, you failed. You don't see anything. So <laughs> then allowing them to re- letting them realize. Wait a second, you don't see anything because somebody else has already been here. Yeah, that's what you find is that someone's been yeah. here before. That's interesting. Now I'm like, oh, now I'm intrigued. Yeah, that's very cool. So at this point, also, I want to I want to restate what you stated, what you said earlier. Do not feel like you need to do this 
on every <laughs> single role. Because I can tell you as a as a game master, this is tiring. This is tiring <laughs> just doing this exercise. I, I agree. I'm looking at this list going, wow, we still got a lot of these to go and yeah. uh, my brain's already fried. But let's push through. Push through. You are on medicine. Medicine. Okay, so I love the idea of medicine as in a player. They went out and they're in the forest. They're looking for some herbs. All right. This is your your classic druid, cleric, or ranger. They're looking for some sort of herbs that they can make a salve or a healing potion out of. So they roll a medicine check to find the herb. Allow them to find an herb. Okay. But don't tell them what that herb is. Just maybe they can go into town later and discover what it is, but make it something bad. Okay. So the herb that they found is now actually some nightshade. All right. So that may be a good or a bad thing because if they figure out before they put it in their healing salve that it's nightshade, now that they can use it for a poison later on. So that they, they, they still have something that's useful, but they need to make sure that they use that quote unquote unuseful item in a useful manner. So they were looking for something. They didn't find what they were looking for, but they found something else that they can use in a different manner. All right. So I like the way you clarified. I would, I would say to start with what you're saying is actually they were incompetent. Because they found nightshade and didn't recognize what it was. I don't. Okay, I, don't, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but I do think finding saying you can't find the thing you're looking for, but you did find this other thing that is maybe equally as important, but requires additional work. So, like, yeah, you can actually make a a potion out of nightshade, but if you do it wrong, it's poison. So that that's the thing is now we've added a complication and we've added dramatic ex- escalation. Ex- escalation yeah escalation where so now your dc check to administer this uh healing salve went from a 12 to a 19 and if you fail you've poisoned them and oh this happens to be the magistrate so if you poison them that's not just okay i i i, I think that's way to make my thing cool michael even that that's the collaborative storytelling that's process. right we're building we're building okay perfect <laughs> all, all right. right so you get nature nature all right. uh, easy the first time someone saw an owlbear they probably said what the bleep is this because this was a new creation that did not make sense either way so there's maybe a new plant there's a there's a thinning here between the walls of different you know dimensions or planes or whatever so there's plants that are creeping in that are not native to this area. So we've just never seen them before, or there's been some sort of magical crossbreeding between animals and all of these squirrels in this area are attack squirrels and they're not acting like squirrels or acting like something else. So that's why you can't find what you're looking for or you don't see what you're used to seeing because something has changed the surroundings around you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It works for me. <laughs> All right. You got perception. I, I just, in nature, medicine and nature are basically the same for me. So I don't have anything else to add for that. <laughs> so perception. Okay. So first I have to say, I probably use perception way wrong and I probably don't use it in the most interesting way. And I probably use it in 95% of how everybody else uses perception, which is there is a noise that everybody is supposed to hear. You then say, roll perception. You want them, as the JMS, you want them to hear that noise. And then all of a sudden, they fail. So then you're like, you're like, roll perception in this dark hallway. Everybody fails. And then, 
yep, okay, nope, everything's okay, keep on walking. Everybody's like, well, we know that there's something that you want us to hear. So allow them, to, in this situation, allow them to hear something. Okay, they hear something, but make that what they what they hear not as um significant as it needs to be so it's just that maybe this goes back to using the environment more so all of a sudden they fail so oh you just now hear dripping in the this this cave so maybe you're just adding you're allowing this to you're adding into the scene I don't know. Perception is so hard for me to use. This is terrible, Michael. <laughs> well, it's just like, again, I've used this exact one before. I use it a lot when I run my dragon spine adventure is one of the first thing that happens in that adventure is you roll perception check and whoever fails, I always look at them and say, you are a trained warrior. Let's say they're the fighter. You are specifically looking around for danger and you did not notice the goblins that are getting ready to attack you. Why not? And again, I don't want to take away, but I let the players, they can come up with a reason. They were polishing their their sword. They uh, were talking to another character. They're, they will give a reason why their concentration lapsed for a moment. This falls into that incompetence thing because they really shouldn't have done that. So I, so that's really not the correct answer here because we're supposed to try to come up with something you know, we additive. But I have used this specific example so many times and it works so well. I might cheat on this one and just say, you tell me. Why did you not hear? Now, this only works if at least one person did hear it. And you can say there's something coming towards you, but you didn't hear it for some reason. Why not? Um, I guess if everyone fails, then you might just mask. Like you said, like there was a, a tremor. There's a collapse in a tunnel. So all they can hear is that rubble falling. You wanted them to hear the gelatinous cube sliding toward them. But they missed that. But then you add in something else they did hear. So it doesn't seem like you had them roll for no reason. Um, you know, you, you hear a tunnel collapsing. It appeared you know, like 100 yards down the tunnel. But they didn't hear the gelatinous cube sliding closer. Something like that. So what I'm gathering is that you're saying that it's so much easier to outsource this work to the players. It is. Instead of you trying to come up with this stuff. It is so much okay. easier. All right. And often more fun. But it sometimes is. as the DM... You take these opportunities yeah. to be like, ah, here's a moment I can, I can do something with. I can add a little pepper to it. We inspire. Hope, hopefully. <laughs> All right. Uh, performance. So performance. my first thing here is there's someone else in this area who is a world-renowned performer. And in comparison, you're just not that great. So you have the bard who's on the corner busking or they try to set up some sort of like play to maybe they're trying to make money and everyone's like we just had Joaquin Phoenix come through here and Adam Driver put on a two-man play that was the most like it was like the Hamilton of medieval festival what you're doing is amateurish so they're actually good at what they do but there's just a comparison that they don't look at favorably so now you have this NPC who is this other person why are they here maybe it's something yeah, no, I think for the, for performance, what I like to do when, whenever somebody does a performance check, it's usually because they're trying to impress somebody. Okay. So what I'll do if they fail, 
I, they, they don't impress the person that they're trying to impress. They impress somebody else that they're not <laughs> trying to impress. And now they just have the most annoying situation ever where they now have a rabid fan. That is like, I've used that so many times. And now they just have this, they're just trying to, no, leave me alone. But they're like, no, you're the best juggler in the land. So. Yeah, that's what I usually do. Uh, and I also just like the idea of uh, the person they're trying to impress looks away, gets distracted. Someone asks them a question. Someone hands them a note. So they just aren't looking at the pivotal moment of your performance, and they just miss it. Perfect. Okay, so I have persuasion. So persuasion, you are trying to convince the guard that they need to let you into the city tonight for some reason. So my favorite thing to do for persuasion is to use the player's backstory. So come up with some reason from their past. So some sort of, usually some sort of relationship. So this guard right here, they completely forgot this is their, this is actually a cousin. So they're all of a sudden, they're trying to persuade. And then all of a sudden this person's like, oh, hey, no, you're, hey, Jimmy, what's up? I haven't seen you in such a long time. So it's, they're trying to persuade this person and then they don't realize that they have this connection to this person that absolutely is going to destroy any sort of persuasive power that they may have. Cause what's so key about persuasion is that you need to have something. It's, it's almost like an unknown quality for why this person should be persuaded by you. But if somebody knows you super well, it's really hard to be persuaded by them. Uh, in that specific example, like they're trying to get into the city, maybe our players match a known criminal or outlaw gang. So they can't persuade the way in because there's a wanted poster that there's four right adventurers, there. one wearing a pointy hat, the other carrying a sword. You know, so instead of getting in the city, they get put in holding for 24 hours and questioned about where they've been. So they don't get to the thing they were trying to get to at the time they were trying to get to. All right. I have religion. Uh, to me, this is sort of similar to Arcana or history. There's a blind spot somewhere in your training. I, I also just, not, it doesn't work exactly, but Army of Darkness, I, um, the, you know, Clato, Verata, uh, there's just something about what you said didn't quite uh, do the incantation correctly. So whatever you were trying to like, you know, ritual you were trying to do uh, fails spectacularly for some reason. Uh, or it could just be an ancient dead religion. This, this These people worship a God that's so uh, secluded that there's not any, you know, wide knowledge about them. It's very obscure. You know, so what is it about this area that, that keeps it sec uh, so obscure and, you know, away from the rest of the world? No, that makes sense. Religion is tough. I So I can say, I, I honestly, I don't use religion checks that much in my games. I just really haven't had the opportunity with my, any of my players playing that type of character. So that's, uh, yeah, so I like the idea of like a, a dead religion, something that, yeah, that's a, yeah, for me personally, that's a tough one. Well, and again, another caveat, I don't have my players roll many checks. A lot of times I just assume they, if you're a cleric, you probably know what's going on here. So I don't even have you roll for this. But in a situation where you are, then there might be a reason why you fail other than just, oh, I, I missed that day in seminary. Yeah. All right. Slide of hand. <laughs> Slide of hand. Okay. The easy example. All right. You're rogue. He sees somebody pocket. A very large coin purse. And he is, because this is a, 
this is a very bad player. And he's like, okay, I'm going to steal that purse. This is one of my players in our Ghost of Solmarsh game. And Jake is now like, all right, I'm going to steal this person's coin purse. And he fails. I'm going to let him get the coin purse. And he is going to get so excited when he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got the coin purse. And then he opens it up, and it's actually just a bag of hard candy. <laughs> and I'm like, you have got a bag of hard candy. So I think a lot, whenever somebody does a sleight of hand check, is because you in this sort of situation, we want them to be competent. So they're able to get what they're trying to get without the person noticing but it's not necessarily what they wanted. So this would be if the other person noticed, um, maybe it could just be that this person was, we go back to that example that this is that really cool NPC that just grabs their hand and says, and looks right at them and says, you don't want to be doing that. So, but that would also mean that the player wasn't competent enough to do it, but you've also then added in another element of a, just a really interesting NPC. And I'm a huge fan of those really interesting NPCs because they definitely also have a cape on. Anyway, so Michael. So I use this example a lot. It's one of the things I cover in like my basic DMing uh, outline is let them succeed. They they try to take a coin purse. They did. So, you know, tell they roll. But what happened is someone else saw them do it. So the, their target, their mark didn't, but maybe another thief in the crowd or another NPC crowd saw what happened. And how do they react? Do they approach the person later and say, you're not part of the local thieves guild. You're not allowed to work this area. Now we got conflict. Or maybe they come to him and say, hey, I saw your skills. You're pretty good. Do you want to join the local thieves guild? And now we've got you know, an interaction. We've got something going on that we wouldn't have had before. Yeah, absolutely. I like that idea. So you have stealth. 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 Again, if you can read this, I failed my stealth check t-shirt. You should buy it. <laughs> Again, so either someone saw you, there's other conditions. It's uh, particularly uh, cold. There's ice on the ground. There's um, a sudden influx. There's like fireworks at a festival. So the, the dark alley you were traveling down suddenly lights up. It could even be something completely unrelated to you. You are successfully sneaking towards your target, but someone behind you, unaware of what you're doing, makes a loud noise. So the person turns to look at the loud noise that's behind you, but you're in between that person and the loud noise. So they were successful, but I, again, it goes back to the environmental factors. Something else happened that caused it not to work, but you yourself were actually sneaky or whatever. Yeah, I think that ties in a whole lot with the sleight of hand. There's so I mean, those are two checks that get used so so regularly. So I do like the idea of like you were stealthy in the manner that you wanted to be, but then you didn't realize that this outside influence realized that as well. But they let you do it. Mm-hmm. So, yep. all right, bring us home with survival. Survival. Okay, so I've recently been using survival a lot. I've actually found that, hey, this is something interesting to use, especially if you're doing some sort of hex crawl or wilderness, you need to use survival. So survival is so often used for your trekking through the wilderness or you're tracking something. That's kind of the big things that it's uh, used for well, I've seen. Also like sur- trying to survive in harsh conditions, finding yeah, water harsh in the conditions. desert. Exactly. The easiest thing if somebody fails is, oh, now you take a level of exhaustion. So the things that I like to do is I either allow the players to get lost 
and then they come across something that they didn't realize that they were going to ever come across. Maybe it's a, it's a camp of some traders or something like that. Or I love to do when they're tracking something. There's nothing better. They're tracking this, they're tracking this group of rogues from the, out of the city in through the forest. And then they, they, they roll and they fail. Allow them to see some tracks, but those tracks actually lead to like a bugbear cave. And they didn't realize that. And all of a sudden they stumbled into a bugbear camp by accident. And so it's not necessarily the rogues, but now they have just followed these tracks right into the, the pit of danger. So they still have found tracks, but it's not the tracks that they were looking for. Or they ran into something that they never expected to run into. I mean, or again, since they did technically fail the, the, the tracking, maybe they were intentionally led to the ambush. The, the people they were following f- made a false trail so they would go into the animal cave or whatever. Um, so it wasn't like they didn't recognize bugbear tracks. It's just that they were misled to the bugbears because of their poor check. Absolutely. I like it. Um, I just, just want to throw in because this was all instigated by a map situation. So I'll just very quickly survival. It's also used for like reading maps. At least I think that is. At least I believe it is in DD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why can I suddenly not read a map? Maybe the map is just intentionally incorrect. Maybe it's coded in some way where the the symbols that I think are trees and rocks and rivers mean something else. There's some sort of code. Like maybe it's not even an actual map. Maybe it's a coded message in the sh- in the form of a map that we haven't deciphered. And it's actually again, it's information in text coded as symbols. Uh, or it's intentionally wrong. There again, they're trying to lead you into an ambush. So the path it shows you should take. It, you know, there's supposed to be a mountain here and a, and a river there, but the rivers here and the mountains over there, what's going on? The map was created to mislead or just someone made a, like a fake treasure map. So it's just not real. And that's why it doesn't work. It's not that you can't read it. It's that it's bad information in bad information out. I just got the best. Well, not the best. I just got this really cool idea I want to do now with a map. I want to make a map that is the harder that they look at it or the more they try to use it, the more twisted that the map gets. So the more that they, it only works when you don't need it to work. <laughs> that was very That's cool. what I want to do. Well, when we did the descent into Avernus, there isn't there, like if you're trying to map Avernus, there, you start making like uh, insanity checks. Because it's impossible to map in Vernus, like it everything moves around. So there, there was like a subsection in there that said if people try to map it, bad things happen. Uh, okay, interesting. All right. So again, anyone listening, I would give us a a solid B on this activity. I don't know that we knocked it out of the park on all of these. As you said, it's kind of hard, but it's also fun. At least I think so. I think it's fun to try to come up with interesting things other than, oh, you fell. And I did that for years. I was very much like if someone tried to make a a climb check and they failed, you fell on your butt. And I would just always go for like a quick, easy answer, often for a quick joke at the player and or character's expense. I don't do that very often anymore because I don't think it's as, as fun. I don't think it's as rewarding. But sometimes I'm inspired by this is interesting. You should have you should have been able to do that. There's no reason why a character of your level was not able to get the shopkeeper to give you information or a discounted rate. And I just, within a, I have a flash, flash of inspiration. Why? And then I, I try to incorporate that. So we said it before. Do not do this every single time. You will no. wear yourself out. Reference the player or, or uh, you know, push the load to the players as often as you can and ask them why did you fail this persuasion check? Why did you fail the sleight of hand check? 
But if you have a an inspiration, maybe you've got a, a story you're half working on, it's not really fleshed out, but now there's a perfect opportunity to drop a, a hint here, then go for it. Um, I think it's yeah. a lot of fun. I encourage you to try to do it. Um, but yeah, do not try to do it every time. So this episode's already gone long. So wrap up what you're saying here and then anything else. And then we're going to get out of here. Yeah, no, I think it's the last thing that I wanted to just say is that this is definitely important for Dungeons and Dragons because the whole system doesn't reward you based on failure like other systems do. So I think that if you're playing d and I think it's important to go ahead and you can't reward players for failure, but you can at least make the situation more interesting. Yeah, additive, not subtract. I don't think it's just additive versus nothing. Yeah. All right. So, anyway, good. so we, we're not doing any Patreon questions tonight because we did the email from David. So once again, David, thank you. And again, anyone else, please feel free to email us in at, at the RPG Academy at gmail.com. Uh, we are doing a patron giveaway this month uh, for the Eberron source book. So January 1st, every person who is an active member of our Patreon will be entered into a random drawing to get a copy of that book. Uh, for as little as $1 a month, you can support everything we do here at the RPG Academy. Uh, the Ghosts of Saltmarsh is the YouTube channel, or the, it's the YouTube actual play that Tom hosts. We'll be coming to the audio-only format early in January. So if, if YouTube's not your thing, if you don't really get involved in that, don't do that. That's fine. There will be an actual play audio-only campaign starting in January for the Ghosts of Saltmarsh campaign. Any tease you want to give to someone who has not watched, has no idea what's going on, why they should listen, Tom? So. What we're trying to do with this is we want to run through the modules that I like playing the modules. And so I think it's good to have this, the, the reference so you can go listen to these and how did these people do it? And then, especially with our particular Ghost of Salt Marsh game, you can say, Oh, this is how they did it. So this is how I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so. So no, so we're doing it. It's a lot differently because we ran through Waterdeep Dragon Heist and I wanted to do something a little bit different with Salt Marsh because it is a sandbox game. So what we do is we're following the tale of three long lost brothers who have now been reunited as they have came back to their hometown and they're now trying to pick up the pieces that they left like 20 or 30 years ago as they're trying to rebuild this relationship. So it's full of, it's full of drama and family angst and pirates and cheese wheels and stuff like that. So it's a, we have a good time with it. Fantastic. So again, as feel free to check out the YouTube version, you play live on Twitch and YouTube. Uh, and then it's up on YouTube after there's, there's a bit of delay because you actually do mm-hmm. some editing too. It's not straight up. Yep. I do. So Twitch every other Wednesday, 9 p.m. to around 11, yep. twitch.com, exactly. twitch.tv slash the RPG Academy. So with all that out of the way, Ian, once again, Tom, thank you for joining me. This has been Michael and Tom. And remember, if you're having fun, you're, you're doing, doing it right. right. <laughs> awesome. Thanks and bye bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. 
And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.